0: How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 42.
1: What? Whoa. I was going to say 41, then you got 42. And I'm like, what? It's 42. See, I
0: shot it first. We didn't make a mistake. Bang, bang. We came in high energy, high octane.
1: I know. And you no. Know and you know what else threw me off? We didn't do our traditional uh, laugh track before the show. No. This is probably the first time in 42 weeks you've not asked me to do, Jake, do your signature laugh. Oh! And I laugh as loud as I can into the mic. Yeah, because it, uh, <laughs> it peaks. It peaks otherwise. hard. Yeah. But you've learned to, like, pull away. So you've I've learnt... got a
0: technique, yeah. You've grown as a podcaster.
1: <laughs> just like that. <laughs> that. I like, just did it, yeah. I've grown. How are you, Jake? Uh, I feel pretty good, actually. Right? I feel good. We're on we're, we're the tail end. This is it. November. We're getting through it. it. was
0: raining in November. It's oh, been, like, I was so, really I, cold.
1: I got a great story for you. Oh, So, on Friday... I, this past week has been so hectic for me because I had so many like things I got to get done and chew on Friday. I'm talking yep. about like physical photo books and prints and like all these like, physical things I had to like get together and basically scrapbook. So I had to go to office works a few times. I had to go to different office works because a lot of them their machinery is crap or it's broken, or whatever. Friday night, uh, sorry, Friday morning, I arrived to the office works in Jandakot. That's right, I'm calling you guys out. I get there at 8 a.m. I'm waiting there in the printing line. I just need to get something binded takes two seconds just bind mm-hmm. my book uh, and I'm there for 20 minutes for no service and then I line up and I meet the girl and she's a nice girl she's the one who actually printed the disconnected DVD copies Okay. and uh, I'm there for 20 minutes and I'm like hi I would like to get this book bind it has to be thermal binding because it's already like ripped pages so there's no other way you can do it and mm-hmm. she's like oh the machine's broken I'm like, I got class in five minutes you could have told me that 20 minutes ago so I get I'm very calm and I get in the car and then I start screaming my head off <laughs> And then it starts raining. I'm like, why is it raining in November? <laughs> and the dash cam footage exists. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a
0: valid point, though, because here in, in Perth, Western <laughs> Australia, yeah. November done not rain. November, <laughs> when, like, whenever it gets around to my birthday, I'm looking at 35 degree you lucky days. Duck. Yeah, mm. it's really hot. It's really dry. And <laughs> then we get to, like... Was it, I think the last three days it's been raining. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it's like twenty degrees. I went to the city Friday night, and I was like, ah, oh, I don't need a jacket. And I got there, and I spent half the night just clutching oh for warm. Oh my god! And I don't get cold easy. Right. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. And like everyone was like, we're at the Avery's. We're all huddled under <laughs> the thing where it's raining. And I was like, I swear this is not what it's normally like. But yeah, crazy no, times. This is
1: a global warming. Yes, <laughs> that gets in yeah. here. Or but we are up? not
0: a global warming podcast. We can be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's enough rallies Net, for well, that Next week on
1: the show, we're going to do um Inconvenient Truth. Truth. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, Jake, what have you watched this week?
1: Uh, I've watched a few things. Um, I would love to... So, I already talked about it last week, but since then, you have caught this. Yes, so I want to talk about BoJack Horseman. Oh, we're just
0: jumping straight Let's into jump it,
1: straight in, because I want to talk about season six a first half of season six. Last week I talked about it for five seconds. We're going into spoilers now. So. Yeah, yep.
0: Yeah, this is the uh, official BoJack Horseman season six a spoiler segment. Yep. Yeah, so uh, we will. Uh, I don't know. We'll make a sound when we're <laughs> ready to go back. Maybe like a, that's the end of the the spoilers. But yes, I've managed to catch. All eight, all, the, all eight episodes. All eight episodes. Finished it last night.
1: That's no right. Friday me- night. Beg Friday your night. Okay, you messaged me when you when you finished it. You just said something along the lines of like, "Oh my god."
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, Jake, um, as we've talked about this show quite a bit over the course of the Cinema Side Show, yeah, uh, was it? How, where does this season uh, line up compared to previous seasons? It's Very
1: tricky because it's a half season. Yeah, it's very. Clearly not a finished kind of wrapped up story in the season. That being said, I just I love and especially where those last two episodes kind of direct us. And I I said this I said this to you in the car, and I've said this to a couple of people. For those who you don't know if you want a happy ending or a sad ending for for the show, and I think I think those last two episodes forces you to know what you want because mm-hmm. you get your seventh episode where. I mean, I was bawling my eyes out at the end of the episode. I did not expect the show to go in that direction mm-hmm. where everything's kind of lined up for these characters yeah. after several years. And then you're like, wow, this is like... I Can this be my ending? <laughs> can this be?" And then episode eight comes around, and at leaves with a cliffhanger that's like, oh, no, this could be horrible. Yeah. And I love it. Because oh, I need
0: to... Reevaluate because I did watch them all in one conglomerate.
1: Right, see so a little. So I think up. it was
0: two separate sittings. So I watched first one to four, and then mm. five to eight. Yep. Um, episode seven is when BoJack goes from town to town. Correct.
1: Yeah, it's when he's travelling around,
0: and he does yep. kind of complete his relationship arcs with every single
1: main character. Pretty much, like he he reconciles with um with his half sister. Yep. With, oh, my God, why am I forgetting your name? Hollyhock. Hollyhock. With Hollyhock. Um, even the, the the makeup girl from Horsin' Around, there's yep. like a bit of an arc in there. And, um. yeah, the... he, he kind of finds peace with himself. Yeah. And the biggest shocker is he actually doesn't drink once this whole season. Yeah. So rehab sort of worked for him. That's incredible.
0: Yeah, and then <laughs> um he pretty much completely rebuilds Bridges completely with people like Todd.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. Princess
0: Carolyn. Diane, and definitely. Diana, well, Diane, it's even the step further. It's the admission of how much he needs her around. Right. Um, and essentially, Diane reciprocates this by mm. expressing how much she needs him around. Yeah. With her own issues of uh, depression in the show. Oh,
1: man. Um, and
0: so even gets a crossover episode. He gets of a Mr. crossover
1: episode, <laughs> Mr. but How great was that? You know it's funny? this oh, This season... God.
0: I've I've talked about Bojack in previous seasons, mm. and sometimes I feel like it's not as funny, but I, I still enjoy the show. Right? Yeah. This season, I did actually laugh a lot. I okay. find this season incredibly funny. It's interesting
1: because um, I went. I've been watching rewatching season one recently. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is a lot funnier than I remember it being. This first season, even mm-hmm. though it's a little rough story wise. So I honestly, if someone says to me like, oh, they don't find it as funny the last few seasons, I'm like, I actually kind of understand that.
0: Yeah. So. This season definitely was quite funny. Everything between uh, the doctor not actually being a doctor is just his first name right. Doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, I've
1: heard, I've watched, and uh, I don't want to get into too much into like what the next season could be about, but I've heard that that could be a big player into the next season. Oh, really? Because this is someone that BoJack's, you know, going through therapy has told him everything. Yeah, and he's not a real doctor, which means he doesn't have any real, you know, confidentiality to, True. to hold. True,
0: and given what
1: what the, could, uh, what happened hang, with yeah. the doctor too
0: right yeah Bojack jack yeah, yeah. indirectly making him get back to drinking there is motivation behind yeah so uh,
1: i've heard that could it. be a big player next season i feel season. like that will be oh i feel oh, like that man, that's so good i feel
0: like um i like yeah I, I for the most part i enjoyed this season quite a bit mm. um i love the intro uh the title oh, intro uh, yeah, and how they
1: have completely re-overhauled in this one yeah
0: yeah normally it's subtle overhauls but this one was a complete uh, and i think it's perfect yeah um i've loved the fallout with the sarah lynn stuff um mm. because i feel like when it happened at the time it was there but it wasn't fully addressed you right know.
1: they kind of skim over a little bit a little bit in, in areas yeah there was an,
0: there was a whole um other play on the story i guess and mm. This one really goes back to that and focuses on their relationship and how he damaged relationships around him and how even his immediate actions in the past had direct consequences and then yeah and yeah. all of that sort of fallout and I mean I really like all the callbacks I've done here like what happens to uh, is it Gina
1: yes Gina yeah
0: um and how she with...
1: yeah they went back to her yeah in that last episode
0: some real handy... Uh, and even the stuff with uh Tamara Jenkins
1: and. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, not um, Tamara Jenkins. Beg my pardon. That's who I was, I'm was thinking. Say, it's I was based like, of... Wow, that kind of makes. I it's consider... um. It's basically what happens basically... to her. She becomes. Um. To... Oh no. Well. It's what... not Tamara Jenkins though, but it's I'm like. I'm thinking of Patty Jenkins.
0: <laughs> what's what's? Um, Kelsey. Kelsey.
1: Kelsey. Uh, yeah. Kelsey. Yeah, Kelsey. Kelsey. Yeah. yeah. It's and like with her
0: getting the, the superhero, right, superwoman yeah. sort of style.
1: Man, you might have just tapped into something legit just then, though. I feel like it might be like a... That's yeah. totally like, it reminds me of that, yeah.
0: But anyway, yeah, um, I really enjoyed this season. I enjoyed pretty much
1: what every character... Kind of goes through in this one.
0: But then the last episode, I, you've highlighted it perfectly. Mm. Seven gives you what you thought you didn't want, but actually do want. Right. The ha- 8 gives you happy what ending. you expected, but something you don't want.
1: Yeah. I think... Oh, God. I'm just... I'm excited. It really it, it really does tingle me in a way of all these things. You're right. All the stuff with, with Gina, with Sarah Lynn, with with Penny. We haven't even talked about mm. that possibly resurfacing with Penny and Charlotte. And just everything it suggests that all of that coming together to really... I, just, lo- just I like that scene with Holly Hawke,
0: because I completely forgot about that dude.
1: I know. <laughs> I c- when I clicked... When I yeah. realized it was um Pete, Re- uh, repeat, Pete, Pete, Pete repeat, yeah. whatever his name I was like, oh shit, yeah. oh shit, <laughs> yeah. you're right, because he's now got the beard, and I was like, man, that really was like, yeah, four years ago, yeah. in the story time, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense, that's, oh, so good, pretty insane, so good, and Jude is back as well, yes, oh my god, I lost my they shit, they did a second
0: coming of a uh, Jesus <laughs> there, it was very good, <laughs>
1: they really did, uh, it was a good, so se- good, it was a
0: really good half season, it, um, yeah. Do I think it was appropriate. It's one of those things that uh, arguments get made for mid-season finales that uh, they are unnecessary. They just draw out a show's runtime. But right. this one I felt was justified. This was very in the league of a Breaking Bad-esque it mid-season. It would totally remind
1: me of Hank on the Taller and that yeah. mid-season finale. It was warranted. And yeah. I think had
0: Breaking Bad not had that mid-season break or this show, we obviously the payoff wouldn't
1: be as satisfying. Yeah because now we're hungry to see what happens in the next half. At least we're going to have to wait, I guess, another two and a half months now. Yeah. It's not too far away, but no, I'm very excited. And to, and to your point of how it kind of felt quite naturally paced, I've actually read stuff with um, Raphael Bob Waxberg, the creator of the show, who's you know gone on record to say that this show has been cancelled. They didn't exactly end yeah. it on their own terms, but he has actually come out and said they're pretty much ending it the way he always, not always, but feels right to finish it. Yeah, He just says... Uh, even though they would have liked to have done like another two or three seasons, they're ultimately just going to be giant segues that lead to a very similar ending. Okay. So that makes me feel a bit better. Like, okay, they're going to end it the way that they intend. As in like, they mm. knew season six was going to be the last one before they started six making It's still pretty good for a show. It's still very healthy. Yes. Yeah. So I, I agree. I think it's, yeah. it's probably for the best to be honest. Yeah. Cause I don't know. I've said it. I don't know how many seasons this show can go and be in such top quality. For a dips, and I know you really don't like season four so much. Not really, but I just—it's still worrying because they have done such a good job of just keeping it going. That the, the level of writing and character development and stuff—I think it's so top notch. i
0: got to quickly get it because I did Shazam mm. it. This show has been a Shazam worthy oh, show really? in regards to its songs. Oh, there's some uh, brilliant music. Um, but the song from this season, and I'll get it up. uh okay. And I want to give it a big shout. I'm pretty sure it is the episode seven conclusion song.
1: Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I was meant to Shazam this too, actually. Um, well, I'm happy That's to help good... you out oh, with this one. Thank bud. you. I need to learn this. But, uh,
0: yeah, no, I this, this show... Uh, Okay, take me down easy by James Hen uh, James Henry Junior.
1: Beautiful. I'm gonna have uh, to get it on me playlist. I added it to my playlist. So Just like thin. I added Wild Horses. Yeah, I was gonna say a very similar vein to uh, Wild Horses, but
0: I think I enjoyed this song more. I think it was perfect. Mm. I liked the sermon stuff and Diane getting a bit chubbier. Oh my god, that uh, was
1: that was a big one for me. I was like, God damn, this show. There's bloody shit. Okay. I
0: really liked that the first... You said you weren't a huge fan of the first couple of episodes, or you weren't as, like...
1: I, I just think the first, like, five or six episodes were a bit wonky. And they're all,
0: but they're all character episodes for each character. They are,
1: they are character episodes. I just think the execution, It's like it feels a little Family Guy-esque with the way they do jokes, Sometimes there's weird pacing pauses, just weird technical things that interesting that obviously they just needed to find their footing. I'm glad they found it. In r- contrast, early. I, I think
0: I really enjoyed those episodes. Okay. I felt like this they were a really good way of highlighting the focus of this uh, final season, which is to finish each character mm. story, not just BoJack's story. Yeah, but each character having like I really enjoyed the Prince Carolyn episode where she was multiplied. That was uh, a
1: great like technique they were doing as well with the. It was almost like a rhythmic song. They are yeah. creating out of all the sound bites. Not to mention,
0: there. yeah, to showcase how scattered she is, mm. how overwhelmed she is. Uh, it, it's great for her. Um, it highlights. I mean, Todd's probably the most backseated character in this season. Yeah, but I suppose. Cause he's, he's also yeah. he's not as required. He's found kind of his only thing that he keeps coming back to is actually want to find a companion. Yeah, and like his
1: sexuality and the app that he's like, I get, yeah, and created I mean, sort of thing.
0: They didn't need to do as much with him, I think. Yeah. For the most part, I've always felt that Todd's character is, is literally the comic relief of the yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he, I,
1: he doesn't have as much like through lines. For yeah, it. his
0: arc definitely, for me, or at least the most conclusive part of his story, obviously comes with this fallout with Bojack mm. at season three, I think it is. Yes, so yeah. that's definitely where I feel like. I mean, the rest of it—he's still necessary, yeah. But he's yeah, totally yeah. necessary to be like that, like the lighter part of the the show. And if anything, <laughs> I, I actually really enjoyed Mister Peanut Butter's uh, uh, episodes oh, yeah. this year or this season. That
1: episode um, when him and and uh, oh, what's her name. Well, the, you know the pug that he's yeah. dating. When they have that whole fight in their house, when he he admits the cheating, yeah. and everyone's like hiding away, like it's just ridiculously funny. And I was like, yeah. this is just this is well, cartoons. Kinda,
0: and yeah. and then how he becomes the face of depression. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: uh, I, I can't remember her name,
0: stuff. but the chick, the chick rapper, right? Got,
1: that that was going with him.
0: So funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a perfect Hanging compliment.
1: Hanging in there, yeah, like that kind of stuff. So funny. I really,
0: I, I did enjoy, um, uh, his stuff this season, but mm-hmm. I really like the character episode stuff. So yeah. 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 I think I, Todd's uh, big, Todd does have a big one with his parents though. Like, yeah. A he's, um,
1: he's like, um, father, stepfather or father or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, comes into the picture at one point and there is a bit of that relationship with the mum, and that's that shot of him. He's going to call his mum up but then he gets the match, yeah. um, from the, the bunny at the airport.
0: So pretty cool.
1: Which, yeah. Oh man, I'm I'm so excited. Are you feeling
0: better now that you got the BoJack? I do. Stuff? I
1: do I'm glad we could. We haven't talked about it at all. No, so I'm kept glad. it
0: just. It's a cinema Sideshow exclusive.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but this Away is the, car. the yeah. official
0: ending of our BoJack spoilers. <laughs> so, oh, that was nice. Thank you. That was, that was nice. I just think of stay tuned for. When, when does the second part uh, come the out? the end of January. End of January. So, so you're you
1: probably go- still not going to be here when it comes out. That's pretty lucky, though. That's not far from when we'll do our next show at the time. Our next, yeah. Yeah. So That'll be awesome.
0: I'll, that works out all right. Yeah, I mean, I come back at the start of February. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's we basically do, a week. We give a padding week anyway, mm. so oh, that might slot exciting. itself perfectly in there. Oh,
1: love it. Yeah, got to love a Sweet. bit of
0: convenience. But have you caught anything else this um, week?
1: I'll stick with the theme of TV shows. I just started the third season of Atypical. i got a history with this show. This is uh, that
0: one about the, it's the kid, with autism, right? Yep, yep. So the kid's and Sam you autism. don't vibe it.
1: Uh, the first season, I didn't really vibe. Now, um, for viewers who don't know, I have a bit of a <laughs> personal connection with some of the themes in the show. And I feel like the first season was very... He didn't get it right, mm-hmm. you know. I, I didn't appreciate that his entire character arc was to try and get laid, and I was like, "For I mean, sure, I, I get it, but also, you could have done more with that concept." Mm. I think they're getting better and better. Basically, season two and season three, and I've only I'm only a couple of episodes in the third season, so I can't really talk about it too much yet. I feel like they're doing a pretty decent job at making up for the crap that annoyed me in the first season, but um, I'd love to just sit down one day and and rewatch that first season, and reevaluate, because mm-hmm. I remember coming out of that two years ago and be like Red Mist yeah I was like holy shit like I had like a bucket list of complaints <laughs> of that show I almost did like one of those you know I'm gonna do a YouTube video and complain about the show for 10-20 <laughs> hours um, and I didn't end up doing that but I wouldn't mind going back into, to to see what I hate but I, I feel like they're doing a better job at kind of rounding out some of the other characters in the story and giving giving him some more interesting stories and, and uh, conflicts to deal with obstacles to, to tread if you will Yeah, you know um, but I mean, it's an okay show. I just think that first season left a bad taste in my mouth but I'm glad I gave it another chance and I was like, all right, let's go and watch season two, season three. And another show, a Netflix show that I've been watching, Living With Yourself with, with uh, Paul What Wright. is the verdict? Hmm. It's interesting. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it, there's an interesting tone that's yep. gone. It's, it's one of those shows, and I feel like that's quite common in shows to say, but it's like. It's pretty lighthearted. It can get serious, but it's mostly lighthearted. Yeah. And I don't know. It just, it's a weird balance that I just struggle with sometimes. I mean, I enjoyed watching it. It's not long. It's like, I think it's eight episodes in like 25 minutes each or something. It's like, it's not okay. It's not like too crazy. And they do some cool stuff with like the inner cutting of the narrative. So what they would do is instead of just cutting between the two Paul Rudd characters, mm-hmm. basically you would have a whole episode with one Paul Rudd. And then the next episode, we'll go back and look at how their lives intersect and what he was up to and what the other one was doing. So it's like this is keeps it a bit more fresh and interesting yeah. than if they just straight up in a cut between the two for the for the duration of the show. But and I'll say kind of a love hate relationship with what you, with that concept of having like a clone of yourself. It's basically that Rick and Morty episode where the clone is like the healthier, cleaner version. Yeah, and they did some cool stuff of showing the the growth that they could have where one of them becomes you know lazy cuz the other's able to do their responsibilities and they end up getting into this home right and then they almost keep swapping roles several times mm-hmm. throughout the show I was like that's kind of cool but on the same token I feel like they made the, the 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 clone Paul Rudd too smart at times where now he was like all of a sudden he was like a a literary expert and he's like giving the other Paul Rudd shit for not reading up books I'm like but you're a clone you yeah. had you've had one extra day, to to live a different life. So stuff like that kind of bugged me. Felt like it was a bit too much of a a draw out. Mm-hmm. But overall, I, I thought the the show was fine. The soundtrack especially was very mixed. Sometimes it would do like very techno portal esque soundtracks, which would just feel really weird. But then other times it would be like, oh, this is actually really cool. It's vibing me into the oh okay. The show. It's so yeah, I guess that's the that's the thing I could say. There's two pole rods in there. One's good, one's bad, and that's kind of how the show is. That so there's some good and some bad in there, but I didn't mind
0: it. Yeah, I'm I'm still on the the middle point. I'd say
1: of... watch the first like three episodes and see if you're interested. Okay, I think I think things get a little more interesting around the third episode when you're like, oh, okay, um, narrative conventions and stuff they're playing around with is interesting and this and that. If you're not interested by the third, maybe fourth episode then. No, as i just say don't bother. No, that's fair. But um, I didn't mind it. Um, hmm? Oh yeah, I was on the
0: fence about watching. Oh, okay, Sorry. I was
1: gonna pass it on to you anyway. Oh okay. <laughs> um, well, I've actually caught
0: um the first, I think it's four or five episodes so far, so the first half season, I think, of a show that came out twenty twelve, I think. Uh, New Girl. Ah uh,
1: yeah, you were telling um, me this. Yeah. I was
0: telling you about this, and was I've been pretty entertained by. It. Apparently, it picks up as I remember it coming on air. Yeah, me
1: too. I remember when that was a big deal. Um, And obviously this this is
0: um, Sarah's pick, not mine. Um, (laughs) But I admittedly admittedly have been enjoying it. (laughs) Nice, nice. I think we watched the first four or five episodes and enjoying it. So stick around, see if I become a New Girl fan or Mm. not.
1: It's kind of like Glow almost in that. We didn't expect It's so weird, I can't even
0: remember. I've watched all three seasons of Glow and I could not (laughs) remember even watching them. (laughs) They just sort of came and went, and now I have to wait. You really
1: like the first two seasons, though, eh?
0: That third season, oh. I'm going to have to slug it out for the fourth season if it gets a fourth season.
1: Ah, uh, we don't know yet, do we? Or
0: I don't think so. There but, might be news on it, we? You know, Alison Bree's like Netflix's favourite person, so. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. I think
1: everyone on Netflix is Netflix's favourite person. person. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I did actually catch another Netflix exper- um, exclusive, okay. Jake. Exclusive. Uh, we're switching into films now. Sorry. Uh, I know we were mm. always on TV talk there, but I caught that new Eddie Murphy film.
1: Oh, okay. The
0: Dolom... Oh, you got to remember the name of it now. I think it's something Dolomite. Um,
1: oh, yeah. I almost wrote it down in my next week thing. I was like, wait, it's already out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Came, I know what out, about, though, came yeah. out on Thursday, I think. i um, am I
1: blanking on the name?
0: I'll just quickly get it up. But yes, um, the new Eddie Murphy uh, film. I think this is the first film he has done.
1: In 10 million years. I think it is since Dave. Yeah, meet Dave. (laughs) That can't possibly be his most recent film. I think it is. Oh, my goodness.
0: Dolomite is my name. That's it. That's Um, it. And I'm not going to lie, I've really enjoyed it.
1: Nice. Uh, All right. I was
0: so happy to see a pretty old now, Eddie Murphy. I think he's in his 50s, maybe almost his 60s. Um, And you can clearly see the guy he's playing... Is it's all based on a true story? Um, okay, and I'm trying to remember the name of him. The guy he plays is Dolomite. That's his caricature, and he's a comedian. Mm-hmm. And sort of like uh, how he becomes like this celebrity based off very slapstick, kind of gross, uh, like gr- grotesque humor. Okay. That of the, time, sort of, of the time of the time of the sixties and seventies was not as common. Right. Um, and the funniest thing is you can totally see this as an influence that directly correlates to Eddie Murphy's stand up um, okay. of the early eighties and stuff. And I'm I'm sure she's he's probably gone on in an interview to cite why he probably was so drawn to doing this film.
1: Mm. I mean it's like it's it's the Birdman effect in that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, it was really entertaining. Gave me real good boogie nights vibe. Okay. Um, sort of like the, It's R rated, so it doesn't hold back. Um, there's some very funny uh, performances mm. in it. Eddie Murphy is not too over the top. Not like early 2000s Doctor Doolittle. Eddie <laughs> Murphy.
1: Uh, oh damn it!
0: He's actually quite ama- like honestly, for the most part, is pretty awesome. I'm not gonna lie, I really enjoyed
1: it's kinda of surprising. I love to hear that though. Like yeah. that's awesome news.
0: Craig Robinson is in this, the musical comedian who's in Ah oh, okay. Um he's very funny. Um it's a really good cast. Um I would actually encourage you to give it a watch this this week, Jake, because I nice. really enjoyed it. Um yeah. I watched it literally t- this morning. Okay, um, cool. Because I was just like, I need to s- squeeze in maybe another film or two, and I was like, yeah. ah, this looks like fun. And it was so nice to actually watch a film that was actually just kind of enjoyable and a bit fun.
1: Um, it's sad how rare that is sometimes
0: yeah it kind of gave me like a mixture between disaster artists and boogie nights and and particularly it it definitely feels like the african-american boogie nights to an extent yeah sort of like the absurdity of this industry where it's like like he's dollar night is this vinyl comedian so he does live mm. live performance shows and he gets famous off that yep. then he wants to make a national lampoon-esque film before national lampoon existed yeah and um wants to do all of this absurd comedy stuff that was probably a little ahead of its time um and i'm and but at the same time it, it definitely gives that vibe of the absurdity but this is reality of Hollywood, which is sort of what Boogie Nights touches on—how mm-hmm. absurd everything is. Yeah. But the porn industry was just a part of the seventies in in Hollywood. You yeah, know, it's a big part, and they and this sort of plays into the same sort of school of thought, I think, and it's pretty f- entertaining. Not yeah. as like cinematically impressive as as Boogie Nights, but right.
1: It's just kind of the what it is in that yeah, way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It, it, it actually, I I draw. Uh, parallels to National Lampoon because uh, Mm. the the futile and uh, stupid and futile gesture, which I talked about earlier in the show, which is about how that was Will Forte and how the National Lampoon was created and Caddyshack and stuff like that. Um, This one definitely feels like it's a mixture of the two. Um, But very good. If this is Eddie Murphy's first film in the last few years, it's definitely the last few years at least. Yeah, I've heard of Yeah. It know. does remind <laughs> you that this man can act because he's quite fun in it. He's that's fun, awesome. but he's also like serious and he's very entertaining. Yeah, and we need it. And it's weird to say Eddie Murphy's in a film in
1: 2019. <laughs> I mean, hey, like I said, that's that's awesome because I'm I'm keen to watch it now. That was a bit of a surprise to hear you say. Like, it's very R-rated, very much. Is yeah, what it it's is. got R rating. That's what yeah. probably
0: what drew me to it more, to be honest. I was like, <laughs> You're like, what's
1: going on? Oh, it's not
0: just a biopic because we need to find a biopic. No, right. this is R rated. And like, watch, I watched, like, only watched like the trailer's two minutes. I watched 30 seconds of it. I was like, Yeah, that's enough. You're like, I'm in. I'm in. That's you all I need. sold me, and it was very entertaining. Uh-huh. It's got Snoop Dogg in it. <laughs> He's pretty funny. Uh, okay, fair enough. It's like the opening scenes between Eddie Murphy and Snoop Dogg. I, w- <laughs> I won't ask
1: why, but fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of um R rating, I finally watched Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2.
0: Wow. And the um, verdict.
1: Really, really good. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I don't think there is a Tarantino film I dislike. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all really, really good in their own ways. And I think uh, it was tricky because, like, they obviously shot these two together. And I think it was intended to be one film. And then I think it was in post or it was a studio thing. Well, for whatever reason, they cut it into two, two stories. And... I was watching this and I was like, "This is really good. This is really enjoyable. Like, this is Tarantino. I want to say in his peak, but you know, this is an era of Tarantino I'm not used to. I've seen, you know, I've seen his '90s stuff, but mm-hmm. Jackie Brown. I've obviously I've seen like Inglorious Bastards and and Going Up to Hateful Aid, and obviously Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But there's this chunk here between Jackie Brown, uh, the Kill Bills, and Death Proof that I just haven't seen yet. So it was interesting to get a taste of what 2000s Tarantino was like, and I was like. Is really good stuff. Like the violence is just. I I finally get it. (laughs) I finally get why people are such awe about the violence. It's fantastic the way when, you know, um, I almost called her Kill Bill, the bride, if you will, when she's, you know, dismembering people and there's this blood spurting literally ever. Like it's comical how much blood there Mm -hmm. is. And I'm like, this is. I just love this shit. And then there's a whole chunk of the movie that's literally just an anime for like 10, 15 minutes. It's like, they just had an animation company just come in and do this. Okay. Which I loved. And it all kind of culminated to me getting to the second film, being like, this should have just been a TV show. Now, I understand you couldn't really do this TV show in 2004. You could totally do it now in the land of TV shows where episodes are very experimental with Mm -hmm. narrative, with style. And I think this show... show, I feel like Kill Bill would have been a, a brilliant show where it's like you have these outrageous characters and Tarantino is good at making outrageous, outrageous characters, characters but in this film especially it's like this would have totally lend itself to like i mean i i would say mini series but i would want as much as possible of this i would want them to make a, a tv pitch of this vein mm-hmm. to last like 10 seasons because there's so much he's doing uh, with the characters and with the filmmaking that i'm like i could totally see this as like this one episode in the middle of season 2 is like just an anime i could see him doing that and the way they flash back and forth between, like, the main event that leads into the revenge story and the way they play with that. It's like, this is totally just, you know, little bits and crumbs that lead mm-hmm. to the season finale, you know? Like, that's what I was seeing in my head. I was like, I would have really loved to see and I know they did it with Hateful Eight, sort of. It's like a four-episode thing. Mm-hmm. But I think this these two films, the Kilbert films, are just so perfect for that. And I, I texted Jack while watching it saying that, and he was like, yeah, I see what you mean. So that was my takeaway for that, and the last thing I saw was 1984. Oh, really? So there's many versions of this. I watched the one that was actually shot in and released in 1984. They actually make a point in the the film credits that they shot it like on the location and during the time period the book takes place in. Okay. Which I thought was cool because it's, it's it's like oh it's a little gimmicky, but it's like not really because now you're getting an authentic 80s production for what the past saw the future in 1984 to be. So I actually thought all that clicked really well. And I feel the production design and like the world building and all that stuff is, is wonderful, but, uh, it just fell a little short. Have you read the book 1984?
0: No, it's one of those ones that you do get given, but it was too long. (laughs) So I never read it.
1: I actually read it before I was required to read it. Cause I I remember like the 10th grade. I just started reading like that. And like the, I think I read the
0: first half. Okay. Um, Okay,
1: yeah. Yeah. I think it's the book version, not the film, because they changed the ending in the film a little bit, which really annoyed me because mm-hmm. they totally could have just stuck with it. I think the ending in the book version of 1984 is probably my favourite ending of anything ever in literature or media or anything like that. I it's my favourite ending to a story. He forgets
0: her, doesn't he, or mm-hmm. something? Like she she gets tortured and forgets who he is?
1: Uh, they both sort of do. Yeah, and spoiling—I mean, it's a very old book now—but spoiling 1984. What I love is that he eventually gets captured for fighting against the system, you know, starting this relationship with this girl, and then yeah, he gets tortured and tortured into essentially being brainwashed by by Big Brother and this corporation, Mm -hmm. and then they shoot him in the back of the head, and that's the end of the book. What I love so much about that ending is they—they kind of tease it and they say, and it's even in the movie this quote where they say, "We're going to brainwash you. We're going to make you love Big Brother." And then after then, only then we will fucking kill you. And that's exactly what they do. And the way it's worded in the book is just so impactful. I was like, that is the most perfect fucking ending. And it's it's not even that like yeah, what's the word? Like it's not that crazy. Like it's not that unpredictable. Yeah. But I just remember the way everything when I was into that book, I was so engrossed in the in the novel and the the use of words, which I think loses translation visually, which is a shame it's a shame because the, the repetition of words and the way it's similar to how Animal Farm does their slogans of, you know... Oh. Well, that would be like
0: changing the ending to Of Master and Men or or um, Of Animal Farm. Like, if you change the right. endings, you ruin you ruin the purpose of the, the novel in the first place. Absolutely, like. yeah. Because I did read Of Master and Men and Animal Farm, mm. and if you change the ending to Animal Farm... Where yeah, it's they... completely
1: lost. You're right. Absolutely.
0: If you if you changed it so, nah, the humans killed all the pigs. <laughs> they weren't dining they weren't dining together at the end. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Oh no, they was just they were just yeah.
0: they just animals.
1: Yeah. Oh, the pigs back in the in the this how we auto. made babe. Or <laughs> <laughs> <What's> Charlotte's Web.
0: <laughs> Forgot that was a movie. Oh man.
1: Oof. But um there actually is an animal farm animation from the fifties and it looks exactly like the Charlotte yeah. Web animation. Um no, but that's exactly right. Now to be fair in the movie they don't they just remove the part of him getting shot like he's he's brainwashed but he's alive and just sitting in a bar at the end of the in at the end of the movie. I hated that though I wanted him to die. I wanted to see that. but otherwise a very faithful adaptation mm. and uh, a lot of great techniques it was um it was Roger Deacons who shot it, which was awesome and you can do some amazing cinematography stuff going on. It was very uh, washed out and they actually used like a special bleach bypass technique which, kind of watched it because they weren't allowed to shoot in a black and white like they wanted to. So what motivated you to watch it? Oh, it was, I rented it from fan base. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I saw it and I was like, I've, I love the book to death. I've never seen any film versions of this. And there is a bunch of like TV movies from the 50s and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is probably the go-to, I'd say so. like best adaption. Of I mean, I, I even
0: just Googling it just then, it's right. the first thing that comes up. There so. you
1: go. Yeah. I think, uh, I wouldn't say it's ready for a remake, but it's one of those films where you can remake it every 10 years and- and people aren't fussed because that's just one of those stories you can do. I feel
0: like given the events of the last fifteen years with films like the Divergent series, mm. Hunger Games, there's no need for a 1984 one because we've had a lot of yeah uh, the the evil corporations oppressing the 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 poor people, people right?
1: The total films. totalitarian sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I really enjoyed it. But like I said, there's a few little things I didn't think translated mm. perfectly. Book's still better. But Apparently, yeah. there's a
0: 1999
1: Animal Farm adaptation. Ah, is so it like, that
0: would have been more? I reckon if you if you're going to make another one, uh, make an Animal Farm live action one. If you're going to make something, It like, uh,
1: would feel too Disney for me. <laughs> but what if it <laughs> With was the talking animals?
0: What about if you did it like the like the Spider Man Spider Verse sort of style, mm. a more cartoony style maybe? I suppose, or or even better, a Scanner Darkly style.
1: Okay, I see what you mean.
0: Yeah, like that sort yeah. of cel shaded version, maybe. Be interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, just... I love the the animation style of the fifties one. The fact that it feels like I'm watching Charlotte's Web, the cartoon, is what makes it even more creepy in my mm. in my head. Yeah.
0: Or even um. Okay, so the other film I managed to watch this weekend, mm. but I, w- I want to come back to this. Okay. Uh, I watched Charlie Wilson's War.
1: Which okay.
0: is a film that came out about two thousand and seven, got an Oscar nod for Philip Seymour Hoffman's supporting role, yep. in it. Um, it was alright. It was kind of a very, it was a political drama. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's written by Soderbergh, so um, is it Soderbergh? Yeah, the one who does all the really talk quick films. Oh, you mean Sorkin? Sorkins, Beg my pardon.
1: Oh, they're pretty close. Yeah,
0: it's a, they both but start with S. S. Um, <laughs> Saw. Um, yeah, it was written by Sorkin. It was very right. fast-talking. Uh, some of the... there's a real, like... And I'm not the first one to jump to this, but there was a real okay. objectification of women in this film in the sense that they... Fra- the way they oh, framed Hugh it... A few
1: White Knight. Uh, <laughs> it it's just like was like... It, it was such
0: a nothing... Like, eh,
1: yeah, film. Yeah,
0: um, I feel that. Like, the, uh, particularly, um, especially given the events of the film we're going to be talking about mm. later in the show. Yes. Um... This film felt like they had to just shoehorn women into a story that probably didn't have, like, a very strong woman presence. Right. Yeah. Um. I know Julia Roberts is in this. I think it's Julia Roberts, but she's she has a pretty strong role. But Amy Adams is in this, and she's really just in it because she's Amy Adams. Right. Yeah. She's yeah. plays Tom Hanks's assistant. This film feels incredibly Oscar baity. Um. Mm for the most part and Philip Seymour Hoffman's probably the only bit I really enjoy about it because he's Philip Seymour Hoffman.
1: Yeah. Um, Untouchable.
0: But I I'm I'm uh, I Jack and I were talking about this. Yeah. I really do feel like Tom Hanks just goes for Oscar bait films now and it's kind of infuriating in a lot of ways. I mean his
1: next film is the um Won't You Be My Neighbor film. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. And it sits right in that spot. <laughs> Sully, I get it. Yeah. it.
0: But it's things like The Post or Captain Phillips or Sully where they just feel like it's like it's a, he looks nothing like the dude who landed in the in the, Oh, like Sully In Sully He doesn't yeah. look anything like him They just want to put Tom Hanks in a film And Captain Phillips Oh my god It's like It just feels like <laughs> They're just like Oh, we need an Oscar Beatty film Let's get the guy who won him in well, back-to-back years Well,
1: that's a good point But what else would he play today? Tom Hanks Let's get him to play a bad guy
0: if Robin Williams can do it in Insomnia, let's get Tom Hanks to play a real creepy bad guy. You
1: know, I only just realized I own Insomnia like yesterday. Really? Like, I was going through my DVDs and I was like, Wait, what the fuck were is you this? Not, is not were you not sleeping
0: by chance? Ah, ha, uh, ha, ha,
1: ha. It was like a double pack. Yeah. So it only filled up half the cover. But I was like, oh, shit, I own Insomnia. I yeah. didn't know that. But it's
0: like it's like that guy who's like happy. Go- like, you know, he's doing Bird Cave mm. where he's playing this uh, bombastic gay man. And yeah. it's like. All Tom Hanks does is he either play... For the most part, he literally just plays the good guy in Oscar bait films. Mm. Even in things like Philadelphia, where he's playing a gay man, he's still the good guy. Right. Like, he's just oppressed by, like, a body. Or in Forrest Gump, he's a lovable, misunderstood person. Mm. And it's like... I I just... I had this revelation in my head. I'm like, (laughs) I want to see him do something bad. Where we, like... We're kind of disgusted by his presence on screen. Because... For the most part, I feel like every other Oscar but actor. Is he out there, able to
1: do that though? I think he
0: isn't. That the definition of acting I su- though. I suppose, but like,
1: yeah, I guess he got kind of typecasts in a weird Broadway
0: sort of. But I also think he goes. He's in. He is in I a position where, it. if he wants to be mm. a bad guy, he could be a bad guy. He just chooses Make him not.
1: Play Alex <laughs> This guy, for the most part, is uh, been yeah. one of the
0: richest people in Hollywood in the last two decades. Right. It's like. He could play a bad guy, and I just don't understand. Like, we look at people. I don't know. Like, look at like, yeah. Why isn't he in an MCU film playing a bad guy? He could do it. I'm just saying.
1: I thought, I thought about that when I asked you that. I was like, what else would he play in my mind? I'm like, oh, he's gonna be fucking an Man or something. He could
0: do. I, I reckon he could play a creepy serial killer. I'm just saying, he could pull it off like a real life. I would
1: love to see it. I would I'd love, love to see him to see that. I just,
0: in my head. I was just like, do you always have to play the likable person? Even when you're like a little bit of a, like your character's a little bit of a scumbag, you're still impossible not to like because right. people position you in roles in which you are impossible not to like. So let's put him in a dark evil <laughs> spot and see if he can pull it off because then he's a really good actor at that point. That, sorry, a little okay. side rant.
1: Well, fair enough. Fair. Yeah. cool. All right. Well, I mean, that's everything I've seen in the past week. Bar our film of the week.
0: Um, I got one more thing to talk about, okay. and I did show you. You got to oh, come yeah, in walk on show me a little it. bit of this? Uh, on I think two thirds of it. Um, <laughs> oh, so <no. laughs> uh,
1: be careful what you say next.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> um, in the last week, uh, on YouTube, there was this released, uh, and I'm not huge on animations, but we have talked a fair bit about animations mm, already on even this, even today, yeah, even today on the show. Um, I got recommended this show by one of my friends, Liam, who's a big fan of anime and animation. And he, he pitched it to me. He's like, Zeke, there's this thing that just came up on YouTube and it's basically like a Disney princess show, uh, but it's like M-A-R rated. And okay. it's situated about characters that are based in hell. Every year they do a cleanse and like souls. It's basically to deal with overpopulation in hell, mm. um, in which... Uh, our main character is planning on opening up a hotel of redemption. And it seems it's a quirky enough pitch that it works. But as soon as you start watching it and they bust out one of these big princess esque numbers, you're immediately subverted by the vulgarity and the tone of it, which is complete opposite. And it's really good. It's called the has been hotel. I think in the first five days it's come out, it's got nearly 5 million views.
1: Yeah, so this is a YouTube show. This is a it? YouTube show yeah.
0: that was originally made by one person. <laughs> um, I think now out. she's gone on and subsidized a bit of a team from it. But I think that they have a Patreon. Um, and I'm thinking they're hoping to get more funding to fund future shows. Mm-hmm. This took, yep. I think, nearly two years to make. And the animation is better than most things you see on TV. It right really now.
1: is. Like, I watched it and I was like, how are Rick and Morty only putting out like five episodes every day? 24 months at this point compared to like what's going on here
0: we even look at the pilot of rick and morty and look at that and the pilot of rick and morty looks like dog shit next to that (laughs) that was that was incredible and i was blown away by it the performances are funny it's so professional there's like the music mixing the sound mixing was all insane and yeah
1: i noticed that it was a lot of like a lot of fun they had with the the diegetic -diegetic, non-diegetic like sound foldy basically
0: some of the characters in it are really... Like, they're all really well designed. And I won't be surprised if they get picked up by some form of studio to produce the show. I think Adult
1: um, Swim would be smart to... Absolutely, for something like, like that.
0: Yeah. Because it feels... It does feel like an Adult Swim show. Mm. That could fit quite nicely on an Adult Swim show. Because yeah. it's got the look of, like, a Teen Titans, but the vulgarity of something like Robot Chicken. Yeah. So... Um, Really entertaining. Check it out on YouTube. Free to watch. It's 30 minutes long, so it's like... Yeah,
1: I noticed it was hefty, eh?
0: Yeah, I I showed the first five minutes to Jack, and he thought it was the end, and then it kept going. He was like, oh, it's not the end. I'm like, dude, it's like 30 minutes. He's like, what? It's like... I'm like, it's a literal pilot for a show. They want this show to go. And it was amazing. I was really impressed by it.
1: You definitely... If you didn't tell me that was like a YouTube one-person show sort of thing, I would have been... I would have been like, yeah, this looks... Yeah, like I know the, the original idea.
0: Morgan. It looks like she, uh, he, or she who's made it has cool. gone on to get a bit of a crew yep. behind it, but not a big crew either. It was only like maybe ten people, which for that is pretty incredible, um, given like the performances yeah. and stuff. I was very impressed by it. Check it out, and that's Check all it I've it got out. for this first Sweet. half of the show.
1: All right. Well, do you have any career updates? Not really, Z- Ezekiel.
0: Just been doing little corporate works here and there. Oh, yeah. I'm working on ZKJ. Specifically, are looking into the early days of a website design. Very uh, nice, very nice. But nothing too far to note.
1: What about you, Jack? Getting there? Um, yeah, I got some stuff. Got just more like contracts and you're right, like factual stuff. Um, I, I should be doing. I uh, speaking of fan base, I should be doing a video with them in the very next week, actually. An advertisement? Yeah, uh, sort of. Yeah. No, uh, I'll talk more about it next on the next show because I will have way more information on on that and other certain. Uh, things that we might be doing in collab with them, but uh, yeah, not much else to note really. Just chipping away, X rental, waiting room. I got a lot of stuff to edit. <laughs> yes, I filmed the um uh, the Dracula Hour show they did out four one last week, so I got to edit that. But yeah, it's all coming together. The usual,
0: no worries. Sweet. Well, it's time for us to move into our film of the week. Jake, what are we watching?
1: We are watching a little little indie darling, if you will. Didn't get a lot of. Notoriety when it first came in, you know, all just the uh, the silence. i catch him, Clary. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head, with the darkest of all minds. Just do your job, and never forget what.
0: Jodie Foster stars as Clarice Starling, a top student at the FBI's training academy.
1: Jack Crawford wants Clarissa to interview Dr. Hannibal Lecter, a brilliant psychiatrist who is also a violent psychopath, surfing life behind bars for various acts of murders and cannibalism. Crawford
0: believes that Lecter may have insight into a case that Starling, as an attractive young woman, may just be the bait to draw him out.
1: Oh, that was tough.
0: Holy on. We got through it. That was just we had th- trouble last week. <laughs> that was like worse this week. <laughs> This film was directed by Jonathan Demme <laughs> and is an absolute
1: banger, sir. This movie's fantastic. It's won the Big Five. It won the Big Five back in 19, I guess, 92. two. 90- Ninety. Well, yes. it came out in 91, but yes. Oscars would have been 92, I suppose. Um yeah, no, this is uh and I had a 19 million dollar budget with a 272 million return. Woohoo! Yeah,
0: it was a pretty big turnaround for a relatively cheap film when you think about it at the time. Yeah,
1: even at the time, yeah. It's not a ridiculous amount no, of money.
0: And if you even look at the time of release, it's been released in May, which means it's kind of in the off-peak of 91's Oscar season kind of in that graveyard yeah, shift yeah. so obviously they didn't think years, months yeah. this film would have nearly as much as an impact as it actually did because mm-hmm. um, that's borderline graveyard time for films may june are not oscar seasons for the following year yeah. so
1: well i guess it, it just speaks to the power of those performances and, and the film on its own and its own merit and even mm-hmm. further talk about how like Incredible that it is that it won the big five. It's the only best picture winner that you could even sort of consider to be a horror. Yeah, you've had stuff like Jaws and Exorcist and Get Out nominated, but none of them won. This is the only one that's even sort of horror that mm-hmm. won.
0: I mean, it, it is. It's posted. I think as a crime thriller. Uh, drama mystery Actually Beg my pardon I guess mystery's accurate Yeah, But I would say Yeah this has definitely Got enough horror in it I mean it's got A cannibal in it And um, a guy Yeah who and some Pretty violent stuff Going on Skin someone alive To wear a skin suit So mm. um, As we did with Trumbo last week And we're doing yep. it With this week uh, This was the film That I wrote My uh, essay on
1: What did you write Your essay on I Specifically Discussed
0: uh, Screen and Feminist theory Nice. Um, I think this film is pretty much perfect for both. Uh, mm. The discussion of like scopophilia and, and even voyeurism to an extent is pretty prevalent in this film. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's honestly just a really well-written, entertaining film. And it was a really yeah. easy thing to talk about.
1: That was my takeaway. Um, the writing and directing mm-hmm. specifically. And I believe it was written and directed by two different people. Um, You mentioned it was Demi, yeah. You mentioned yes. he directed it.
0: Sorry, by Thomas Harris. Uh, there you go. Directed by J- Jonathan Demi.
1: That was my main takeaway because the first time I watched this was um in our lecture theatre about two and a bit years ago. So that was the first time I watched it, and I rewatched it last night, I f- believe. And you've seen it a few times, mm-hmm. haven't you? I think four or five times, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember we did a Blue Velvet the day we watched it, and you were surprised that that was my first time watching it. <laughs>
0: It's a very, yeah. very good film.
1: Well, that's the thing. When I rewatching it last night, I was like, "Wow!" First off, the writing is is excellent, and the direction's really mm. excellent as well. I was like, "Wow!" Some of the some of the decisions being made here in terms of the editing and the the where the cameras being placed, and of course the performances are insane. It's is it, just really well done. Oh, there's a huge amount of uh,
0: central framing going on mm. here, which is a little bit odd, but it's also like uncomfortably in your face. Uh, so Thomas Harris did the novel And Ted Talley did the screenplay
1: That's right It's an adapted script I forgot about that
0: Yes um, Big uh, I think this, this Yeah This film is For the most part Just a, a really engaging Entertaining film um, And even watching it this time I did notice uh, Things Just the sound design this time, okay. and I particularly enjoy a lot of the soundtrack, particularly the score they use on the opening title the sequence. The music,
1: yeah, I, I, I was like, wow, I forgot how good this sounds. That opening, real theme, uneasy you're right. feeling, yeah, and yeah,
0: uncomfortable, and I mean, I think the thing that gets talked about the most with this film is the two lead performances of mm-hmm. Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. I mean, Hopkins is. Uh, it was funny. I was in this conversation the other day. Mm um with one of the people I work with who has been we both are big lovers of Westworld. Yeah. And Anthony Hopkins is a, a pretty huge part particularly in the first season and then a little less in the, the second but has such an amazing character uh, of Ford in that. And I mm-hmm. honestly thought that his Hannibal Lecter would be I mean when sadly he passes away, this will be one of the characters that gets talked about the most. Oh, for absolutely. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think I stand by, I think I might enjoy his Ford character more than I do his That's Hannibal Lecter. really interesting. Which yeah. is a polarising statement, I know. But <laughs> it's basically, I mean, everything's a derivative of Hannibal Lecter for yep. this type of movie villain. The intelligent, quiet... Uh, villain that only lashes out at the point when he absolutely needs to and you completely lose the fact of how much of a monster he is until you know those those that latter stage when he does break he out does of prison what he does yeah um and i think because of him we have now experienced 25 years of villains just like him um in a yeah lot of ways. I,
1: I can see what you mean especially because this character in particular they've re-done. Several times with like Mads Mikkelsen and stuff like that. Yes, so, yeah.
0: For the show, and even derivative characters like Sherlock. Um, I was reading an article. Okay, yeah. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock in particular. Uh, that this sort of hyper intelligent but inter- like inter- morally sort of corrupt personality ha- has been hugely reused and redone as mm-hmm. a derivative of. Hannibal Lecter character, and I don't think what gets talked about enough is more Clarice's side of it because, I mean, your villain's only as good as
1: your your hero, right? Right. Well, it's usually the other way around, almost. Yeah, that's yeah. It's the same. It's the same. I mean, it's a yin yang essentially. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, in which I think Clarice or Jodie Foster is, is she's perfect. She's like the right. definition of a perfect protagonist and. I can't think of many drama mystery films of this ilk that have been nearly as well done as her character is. And talk about a, from a feminist point of view, mm. a film that was way ahead of any sort of in your face movement time and was still subtly, just just brilliantly slotted in there. And, yeah. I mean, Jodie Foster, Foster, especially, has gone on to, you know, she's a very strong feminist uh, representative when she's out and mm. she doesn't particularly like social media and stuff, but whenever she speaks. She does have very strong, uh, feminine values, yeah. um, and I just feel like this film doesn't get talked about as much from that, and it's it's more effective than any of the Marvel in your on rubbing your <laughs> nose in that sort of stuff, yeah, even the Wonder yeah. Woman stuff, like that more pop culture esque feminism. This one is a subtle, a way more subtle, but equally as important example.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think I agree with you in that. I think I think Clarice doesn't really. Get talked about enough in that same vein. I don't think this film in general gets talked about enough today. I don't really hear people talk about this film. Um, yeah, it is. It's, it's crazy. I'm, uh, when you when you told me like, oh, I'm going to do my essay on this film under the subject, I was like, that's that's perfect. Especially rewatching it, and I already knew where you were coming from having seen it the first time. I was like, oh, okay, you know, you get the when she's you know in crowded shots and everyone else is like this dude who's like half or double her height rather, mm-hmm. you know, and that that was all very. Like, very well done stuff. And then when I rewatched it a second time last night, it was just even more brilliantly. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. some of the stuff's going on here. There's even one line that I didn't pick up on the first time. And I was like, wow, that's really creepy and clever. Is the second meeting she has with, with um, Sir Anthony Hopkins, you know, Hannibal Lecter. He says something because she's just cut herself sneaking into that garage thing. And then he says, like, oh, you're bleeding. And then she she says, oh, how did you know? And then cuts herself off and she's like, oh, no, I cut myself here. And I was like, that's a very clever, mm-hmm. subtle little thing. But it kind of goes into all these underlying things we're talking yeah. about.
0: And it's just things like when simply, like, he addresses her straight away and just mm-hmm. goes, like, do you think your peers want to fuck you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they imagine fucking you because you're an intelligent, you know, accomplished person for your age and... and yeah. and constantly is reminded of how attractive and pretty she is by people that are supposedly meant to be some superior and more professional to her.
1: Yeah, and it's you're right. It's in her workplace. It's in the, the bloody nut house, and mm-hmm. there's people throwing gross substances in her face. You know, it's, it's everywhere, and I was like, wow, this is so clever. I mean, the
0: first interaction that he has with, uh, she has, with mm. the uh, overseer yep. of the asylum, he asks her out on a date. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, she's about to go see possibly the most dangerous man alive. Yeah. And he's asking her out to go out on the town. And I think the best part about her is she's always subtly, con- like, persistent. This this film is a very good social commentary on what it's like to be a woman in a workplace mm-hmm. without being in your face about it. There, exactly. was, There was no point in which she lashed out back at them for their objectification of her. She just subtly went along and ends up yeah. being the, the, the catalyst. Well, the hero, yeah. the hero and also the catalyst for, um, you know, change. I mean, without her, Hannibal wouldn't have opened up and the case would not have been solved. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's, that's truly brilliant. Um, writing and, and real subtlety and less is more as always the, the formula of success in this film really achieves it on that front.
1: Absolutely. I, yeah, I agree that the script is so clever And I actually watching it, I was like, shit, it wouldn't surprise me if this was one of the biggest influences for Seven. Yeah. Um, Excuse me, which would have been written a few years later. But this script's way smarter than Seven. I feel, yeah, because you're right, all these underlying things that, yeah, Seven's a great script, but this has all these very clever sort of commentaries, and and you're right, she becomes the hero through opening, through getting Hannibal Lecter, this, like, insane, like, genius, Mm -hmm. but this insane person... To open up, and then ultimately she's the one in the the trenches at the yeah. very end. You know, the one who kind of, well, essentially. Well, even even yeah. when
0: we th- essentially think that she's being thrown under the bus, she's done all the hard work. And mm. then, uh, the character of uh, uh Scott Glenn Jack Crawford uh, essentially goes up. Oh, I'm gonna go save the day now. Yeah. I'm gonna go take all the credit. God, and of that pisses me
1: off. <laughs> leads to, but
0: it essentially it leads to her rocking up accidentally at Buffalo Bill's house. Right. Yeah. And I really like that. Because, um, as I talked about in my essay, that's a great example of screen theory. We know it's Buffalo Bill's house, and we know that's Buffalo Bill before right. Clarice does. And that's the whole idea behind uh, like characters only knowing their subjective truths compared Absolutely. to audiences knowing an objective truth. We knew what he looked like before every other character did. Definitely, and it's yeah. intercut between the narrative. So,
1: And it even plays into, again, the seven comparison, where that film doesn't really show much of Kevin Spacey until mm. until he essentially outs himself from memory. Yeah. But he's essentially a secret until that while in this film, yeah, they very much show the audience this is Buffalo Bill. We're going to constantly cut back to him with the victim down in that well. Mm. And and they're even going to show this sort of dichotomy as with the girl he's kidnapped and how she lures the dog down. And like mm. we see all of that. Yeah. And yeah, that well, totally much, goes much like
0: theory. um this film is very much a case study and it's structured as if we're doing a case study of Buffalo Bill mm. as the narratives unfolding. I mean, as Clarice is discovering clues that alludes to personality traits of Buffalo Bill, we're also seeing personally how he acts in yeah. interacting with one of his victims, which in this sort of film is incredibly odd for a mystery kind of crime drama because often... Right. The serial killer is not revealed to a later point. As we talked about earlier in the show, I brought up insomnia. Robin Williams is not brought up until a little bit later in the film. And it becomes less about what he did with his victim and more about his relationship with Al Pacino's Mm. corrupt cop character. Um, Even in Seven, um, we only see the murderous path of destruction that Spacey leaves up until, like, the last 30 minutes of the film. Right, yeah, When we yeah, finally yeah. get to meet Spacey and really get to understand what's essentially going on with him. And only up until his last breath do we really understand what kind of person he is. Um The Usual Suspect's another Spacey example. We don't right, see who Kaiser, one too, yeah. Kaiser Sose is until literally the last five minutes. Yeah. So uh, this one's interesting because by the end of the first act, we know we've identified person Buffalo Bill we, yeah. so it becomes less about who who done it who is this guy it becomes more about what makes this man such a monster what mm. is going on inside his head what makes him what makes us as the audience sympathize to an extent but also fear what this impulsive psycho psychopath could do because yeah. um, there's and I think that's really interesting especially with his own identity crisis that Buffalo Bill is suffering in this film where he doesn't know what he is mm. and the only reason he wants to become a woman is to repress all the the terrible shit that's before him as a man. Yeah. Well so, that
1: that kind of goes into this uh thing that I found a bit of because there was a bit of controversy about the LGBT representation through mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill. Now the director has come out and responded to this and I I believe this is the quote here that Buffalo Bill wasn't a gay character, he was a tormented character who hated himself. And wished he was a woman because that would have made him as far away from himself as he possibly could be. Exactly. Um, There's actually
0: an order for this because I did discuss it because that's that is a big part of it. You are correct. It was a huge uh, backlash for um, his like portrayal Mm. in it because he's not. But there isn't, and it annoys me because there's actually a specific scene in which Hannibal even addressed Clarice. He goes, "He's not transgender. He Mm. just thinks he's transgender." Yeah. Um. And it frustrates me that when a piece of dialogue blatantly saves kind of any sort of this. backlash yeah. Yeah. and still people find a way to complain about it. It's like, well, you're really not watching the film there. You're just seeing like a surface level. Whereas this film works really hard and does really well at actually making you understand the villain. Um, I mean, it's anything from like, like on his birth certificate, his name was misspelt. Because of the uh, from his alcoholic <laughs> right, yeah, parents, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and like him killing his parents impulsively at the age of twelve, or his grandparents. Sorry, beg my pardon, and killing the the foster parent, Sowa, uh-huh. that taught him how to sew. And it's, uh, uh, I mean, they actually do talk about. Uh, there's specific quotes that I've got just here talking about this, but
1: just here, you say? Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> sorry, it's.
0: <laughs> It's a really interesting thing because I don't think characters like this or villains like Mm. this, even though Buffalo Bill isn't essentially the antagonist of this film. If anything, he's the quasi sort of antagonist. He's what we think is going to be the antagonist of the film, but Mm. really essentially isn't. It still comes back to Hannibal Lecter. Um, I've just... This film is so entertaining to watch. And you can rewatch it and still be entertained for I was, a year I was on.
1: surprised two hours eighteen, something like that. I was surprised it it just blew by. Yeah. I was like, wow. Because I, I remembered the film, but rewatching, I was like, wow, I remember way more of the the length of this than mm. I recalled. Like I was like, Oh, I remember this scene. Oh, I remember this scene. I remember this scene. So it was very you're right. I think it's very entertaining and and just very clever. I want to talk a bit about the casting, because there's actually a bit of story behind uh, both the main castings of these uh, these Oscar winners, if you will. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about how Foster was actually the fourth choice for Clarice insane. So there were three choices uh, prior to here it. It was uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Meg Ryan, who both refused because they didn't want to they didn't like the the subject matter or how deep the the film went with that. And I think Laura Dern was the third option. But I think I think she wasn't. I think there were fears that she wasn't going to be bankable enough, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But Jodie Foster, throughout this entire process, was very much like, "I want to do this bloody movie," and I think she just kind of prevailed and won the role because of that. Could perception. you imagine
0: Meg Ryan in this <laughs> film? From Sleepless in Seattle, right? Yeah. To or what's the other one she does? You Got Mail or something? I or can't even remember. When Harry Met Sally, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To this, like, what? Nah,
1: <laughs> well, I mean, when Harry met Sally was after this, wasn't it? That was like 98 or something. No, I think it was 89. 89. Oh, you might be right then. I apologize. Yeah, fact check that one because, and you know what? Laura Dern would be interesting. As well. Oh, there you go. Beautiful. 89. And Laura Dern is really tall, from if I recall. So yes. she, she kind of would have botched all those shots of all the guys. They'd like, have
0: to make them gigantic. Yeah, yeah they'd have to make Whereas really Jodie Foster is quite short.
1: Yeah, so that's great. And then on the flip side, there's actually a guy called Brian Cox, if you may have heard of Brian Cox, who actually played a version of Hannibal Lecter, spelt with a, a K, it's almost like Victor, in the 1986 film Manhunter. So, And this was, yeah, before mm. Sir Anthony Hopkins' portrayal of the character. And obviously you can kind of guess which one left more of an impact. Yes. So I just thought that was really, really well, interesting. Well, if you look at
0: um, his character in Westworld, Ford, there is definitely derivatives of Hannibal Lecter's uh, intellect, in Mm -hmm. Ford's character and even his, like, serious uh, malice intent, which comes across. But there's something about him he's just mesmerising as a slightly older gentleman and... I would encourage you. I've been pushing you to watch Westworld for ages. One day, <laughs> Jack, one day. You'll get me in there. Um All So right. that, that quote I was referring to with yep. Buffalo Bill was uh, by um, an article, and it was like, to experience the rebirth of a woman, Buffalo Bill must wear the skin of a woman, not just to experience a physical transformation, but also to acquire a power of transformation associated with the woman's ability to give birth. Buffalo Bill wears the skin as a totem animal to assume its power. So that sort of refers Ooh. to the uh, rebirth of identity. That Buffalo Bill was trying to accomplish, which right. is very similar to the power a woman has when they give birth,
1: right? The fertility of that, and it also reminds me of the, the, the butterflies and the, the constant mm-hmm. repetition of that, how they're in you know cocoons and re kind of birth out of that. That's a fantastic well. symbolism. Oh, oh, it's incredible. It's, it's
0: we've got some banging films on this show, but Jesus Christ, <laughs> every time I watch this, this film, one. it just adds more and more each time you watch it. Even yeah. with, like, some of its, like, more memorable lines, obviously being, like, the kidney beans line, but Jesus Christ, oh, that yeah. final sign-off line from Hannibal Lecter where he's oh like... Oh,
1: my God.
0: we got to talk about that. God. I mean, I, do I've you have got, anything I've more? I've actually got it right here. I was about to say, do you have anything more to add or do you want to break into, like, uh, I've got a few more
1: things okay. i want to talk about, but that, that quote, I'm having an old friend for dinner. Holy shit.
0: That's clever.
1: <laughs> and I also wrote the, uh, the quote, K'ool. well, Koola. or Koola. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's totally my sign off <laughs> for today's episode. Um, uh, yeah, I guess I got. It. You want me to just run through some notes? Yeah, we can get into that real quick. Um, one of the things I wrote is that Hannibal Lecter had way more screen time than I remembered him having. Yeah, I, I remember him being a very Freddy Krueger esque villain where he's in it for like two seconds. About the whole film, nope. but no, it's an yeah, she...
0: integral part of it. Yeah. And I guess we'll it's gonna... almost like a three way split between the three leads mm. between Lecter, um, Clarice, Clarice and, and, Buffalo and Buffalo Bill. Bill. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, it, it starts off with a lot of Jodie Foster and then moves quite a bit into Buffalo Bill stuff. And then sort of it gets tied together between the Clarice and uh, Hannibal Lecter stuff. But yeah. I definitely say that it's definitely a almost three-way split between... It's these. a
1: free-hander in that way. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean, those scenes of those two, of um, of Sir Anthony Hopkins and uh, Jody, Jody Foster, like, there's just some iconic scenes in there. And that actually kind of leaves me with the iconography of the film. Because mm-hmm. some of the images I had in my head from that first viewing that I had years ago that's still embranded in, in my head is when, obviously, that, that cop is being dangled up from the cage and his insides have been split out. And he basically has like an angel look with the with the kind of the the wrappings kind of dangling under his arms. Like that was this, that shot right there, that is what the Silence of the Lambs is to me, is that that particular shot. And while we're talking about like cages and stuff, I love the way that Hannibal Lecter like, is lit in his cage. He mm-hmm. kind of goes through several transitions of lighting. He has, sometimes he's like almost overexposed when the lights are all switched on, mm-hmm. but then sometimes he's just like, just sitting in darkness and you kind of get a little bit of an outline of like his leg or maybe part of his face Oop, I just punched the microphone i apologize for that <laughs> but no i just i thought that stuff was just so so clever but yeah no, i think it's um, fair. do we want to talk about the, the significance of the title of this film which by the way i didn't realize it was the silence of the lambs until yesterday
0: oh due to the wait really yeah it's actually the Wait, like you didn't realise that?
1: No, I I didn't realise that, yeah. Which made me realise that we haven't done a lot of films with the in the title. This is The Other Side of the Wind. The Other Side of the Wind, uh, The King of Comedy, The Nightingale. Uh, There's two more. This is our sixth one, I checked. Wow. So we've only done six films with the in the title.
0: I'm trying to think of the other
1: ones, but anyway. Uh, The Lion King and The Matrix, that's it. Oh, there we go. That's it, that's our six and this one, of course. Um, but um, that tied with
0: I mean, yeah It's an amazing sort of backstory that Clarice recounts mm. Um, Sort of like outlays her innocence as a character Yeah And also her fear Um, And which uh, Hannibal is listening to But is also mm. accounting how he can use this against <laughs> Clarice Always, <laughs> always He's always, always one twice. step yep. ahead Yep And that's sort of the relationship these two have is whenever one feels like they're getting the peg up on the other, the other one tends to surprise them. Because there are times where even Hannibal was caught off guard by Clarice's sort of forwardness. And seemingly uh, lack of fear in engaging her, even like knowing he's a cannibal and coming closer and closer to the cell Mm. um, and feeling like that sort of comfort or like bravery which is some which other characters do suffer yeah from. so uh, <laughs> don't share that level of bravery in no some, exactly in some cases, um, yeah but yeah did, what else did you want to add to that
1: um i mean that's uh i guess the only other thing i can talk about before we get into the highlight scenes and this kind of is a a scene of its own but just i found it interesting the way they would cut between because she has a side kind of arc with her father mm-hmm. obviously the father died when she was very young young um, and the way they kind of cut between her, especially when she's leaving the nut house in the first, for the first time, and then it kind of seamlessly cuts to her walking towards her dad, or or he's coming yeah. out of the car and she's running to him, and then all of a sudden she's a child sort of thing. I just thought that was really interesting. That was I forgot about that. Until oh, the this, the, this,
0: the torment sort of stuff. Yeah, well,
1: yeah, just like that aspect of it, and even the way they they shot it and put it together. Well, it's very
0: much like just adds to the isolation of her character too, mm-hmm. and how. It feels like a lot of her life she's had to bottle stuff up and yeah. unloading it to a psychiatrist, I'd be an yeah. insane person, <laughs> is kind of the only real solace she gets as a character too. The Pretty only person much. she talks to about her father is, is Hannibal.
1: Which is weird because it's that father figure thing and the yeah. male role models kind of yeah. all coming into play yet again.
0: So yeah. Interesting stuff. It's got many layers, this film, and you could probably talk about it for years. And if
1: you're a Buffalo Bill you would uh you would uh skin those layers right off <laughs> just like we're doing right now. No, that's <laughs> fair. Well,
0: Jake, highlight scenes. What's one that really stuck out to you? Cool.
1: Um I just obviously those interviews in the cell are just spectacular. Mm-hmm. And I do want to give a bit of a shout out to the the night vision scene. I thought that oh. was that was really awesome. My favorite kind of I have to call it a sequence, probably a small collection of scenes is everything from basically the entire escape that Hannibal does from from his cave <laughs> and out of... Is it like a hotel, they're saying, or something like something that? Something like that. It's Some like sort a... of building, yeah, like a big skyscraper-esque thing. That entire escape from when he initially kind of eats off that guy's cheek and kills... He bashes the other one, leading off all the way through to like the elevator sequence where they're pushing, and then he rises in the ambulance with the face, rips it off, and then then he's out. That whole like sequence is spectacular. Oh, it's insane. Yeah.
0: It's insane. Um, I would say my highlight scenes, we've talked about a few of them, obviously the silence of the lambs title. Yep. Um, the final scene, mm. like with him with the that sign off line, yep. the phone call, um and her realizing it's it's pretty spectacular. But I think the the big one is definitely the Buffalo Bill House visit mm. and the moment in which they're doing that big build-up, the score is swelling, they yep. think they're about to catch the criminal, and then it just cuts. And the door opens and Clarice answers, and it's like you, as the audience, are just like, "No!" Like you're <laughs> making it audible. Like now that's
1: some screen fury right there. Was it was great. It's so good. It's and uh, even rewatching and knowing that, I'm like, "Wow, this is just so well done."
0: This film is a, is an all time classic and is a must watch. And if you haven't watched it, you are shame a fool. on you. No big, yeah, big shame on you. Yeah. I think this this film is not only one of the best of the '90s, but probably one of the best of the 20th century.
1: I think it's considered one of the best films ever made. Yeah. By a lot of people.
0: And it should be because it really is. It's it's intense. I wouldn't say it's, a, you know, it's got violent sequences in it, but I don't think this film's th- that violent. I think you'll appreciate it the older you are and the mm. more revisits you'll give it. Yeah, definitely. And if you're watching it, with, a, it's one of those films that if definitely if you're watching it with a passive viewer eye, you'll enjoy it. But if you're watching it with a critical eye, you're taking it. To that next level.
1: Yeah, you're kind of... You're binding through all those yeah. extra layers. So you're kind of seeing all of it. But you're right. Even on just a surface level, it's a very enjoyable, it, albeit creepy film.
0: It gets put in, I think, lobbed in the same category, something like Fight Club. Mm. Or where a passive viewer can enjoy Fight Club for Fight Club's just entertaining mm. aspects to it. But a critical eye can take Fight Club's analysis to the next level. Yeah. And this film is definitely in that sort of... Same ilk, same thing with Matrix.
1: Yeah, in a way,
0: um, I think I there's agree with a that. there's a wide appeal to this film. Um, a bit yes, a creepy appeal, but still a <laughs> from a critical analytical point of view, there is another element.
1: Yeah, I think the Matrix is an interesting one because I remember watching for the first time with you, mm-hmm. several episodes. I, I don't even remember which episode it was like thirty three or thirty four. Yeah, we did it on like the that. show. Um, if you have, if you're on Spotify, you can just very easily scroll and find it. We're not gonna scroll but, through our own Spotify, yeah. <laughs> but I feel I remember that film being a bit more simple than I thought it would. After years yeah. of hype, it ends up being more simplistic than I realised it was. But yeah,
0: sort of like American Beauty. I feel like that one always gets put on That's a pedestal for being quite like intricate and complex, but it's really not that complex. It's very... I don't
1: remember that being a really deep film. I was just like, oh yeah, yeah. I all the beats make sense. Kevin yeah. Spacey's doing this, yep, cool. Yeah,
0: but, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's uh our analysis uh, analysis. Analysis s- 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 of the silence of the lambs. This is a much <laughs> watch. Not really sure where you can watch I watch this on D V D, Jake. Where did you watch this?
1: Uh we got it on we got it on D V D from years ago. But um, I'm sure it's on Blu ray and everything as well. I don't
0: think it's on any streaming. I don't platforms. think it's on Netflix
1: because I think I checked a few days ago. I don't recall it on Netflix. Actually, you know what? This feels like a Stan film. I'm going to You are check. correct.
0: It is Stan.
1: Wow, okay.
0: That oh. was a quick That was a quick pick for you.
1: I'm looking it up right now because i got Stan on my phone.
0: And Prime Video. So Prime it's v- oh, there the you go. Prime, Stan. Amazon Prime. And ah, so it's actually
1: pretty accessible. So pretty accessible. Check it out. It's Damn, amazing. I wish I knew it was on Stan. We could have watched it on HD. Yeah. Oh, well, that's fine.
0: No worries. Well, Jake, sure. do you know what's new in cinemas this week?
1: I... Do, actually. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I gave you a look. You're like, Jake. <laughs> uh, so in the next week, Stephen King's Doctor Sleep, just doesn't look good. No. That trailer looks generic AF. That is not a Kubrick sequel. I'm just going to have a quick peruse
0: all. to see if uh, the immediate reviews for that one. But keep That's going. That's a good
1: point. Go, uh, give it a look. So Last Christmas is coming out next week, Weirdly Early. That's not all for Emily Clark. From Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. It looks cutish and fun, I suppose. I don't know. Pain and Glory is coming out next week. Emu Runner, which I want to talk about. It's a debut Australian writer director. Uh Imogen Thomas. Who's done that? Emu Runner, so that's out that, I suppose. On Netflix, the end of the fucking world, season two.
0: Haven't seen the first season.
1: Yeah, neither. I've heard I don't know what I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> I've heard that this show exists. I see. But yeah, are there any reviews on Dr. Shalip?
0: I'm sitting on a, about a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes oh. and a 59% on Metacritic. So I'm going to take okay. the Metacritic that's one, TBH. Yeah,
1: it's average to good.
0: Average to good. Okay. Well, kind of sitting doesn't... on the same score around It Chapter 2 was, which makes me Ooh. skeptical.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's something to be skeptical about. <laughs>
0: For as I will not talk about It Chapter 2 with a smile on my face. There,
1: that is another one we did a, a show on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's all had, in the 30s, man. We've had some mediocre ones. I can't wait for our when we turn one and we talk about the like best and the worst. Yeah, best of the, and worst of the uh,
1: cinema side show. I was really listening to our Lion King. Yeah, <laughs> I was really listening to our Extremely Wicked episode mm-hmm. uh, last night, and I was like, "Damn, this is good." So, like neither of us like terribly loved the film. I terribly did not love the film. Yeah, but um, it was such a good conversation we had. Yeah? Well, that's we, fair we didn't enough. Have favourites on well, the show.
0: As none of those films are the film we're watching mm. next week on the show. But, Jake, what? you do know what we're watching next week on the so show.
1: So it is interesting you mentioned this. So we've picked a film for next week. This technically comes out in select cinemas next week. And, uh, Zeke, you'd be happy to know that what we're watching quite early, The Irishman. Frank Sheeran. I saying that right? Yeah, you said it right. Uh, under the contract... Management can only fire a driver on very specific charges, so. In the 1950s, truck driver Frank Sheeran gets involved with Russell Buffalino and his Pennsylvania crime family. As Sheeran climbs the ranks to become a top hitman, man, he also goes to work for Jimmy Hoffa, a powerful teamster tied to organized crime. This
0: film was directed by Martin Scorsese and comes out on the 27th of November to Netflix, what, what,
1: then how how are we reviewing this next week? Zeke? I'm glad
0: you asked, Jake. Whoa. Well, you, being a solar cinema detective, found out <laughs> that there
1: is a early screening. There is four screenings this weekend at Backlot Perth, mm-hmm. uh, so we're getting the full DCP, full cinema experience for this. And apparently, there's a lot of controversy about the way this film has been distributed. Apparently, it was meant to get a way wider to release than it is apparently getting now. Because I think Netflix got shitty about it,
0: okay. but they also
1: spent like two hundred million dollars make the film. So I guess they're kind of allowed. One hundred and forty million US dollars. <laughs> so that's about. I think it's two twenty over here. I was about to
0: say two twenty Australian. Yeah. So that's a lot of money uh, for a Netflix exclusive. Mm. So we'll be bringing you an early. Uh, look into this film yeah three and and a half hours hot of the press three and a half hours we'll be dressed up for it we'll be pretty happy we might as well we pretty much are done for the year after that one
1: yeah no we basically yeah that's about it yeah so that'll be a very
0: exciting night out i believe that's gonna
1: be cool and then uh the next day we'll get to talk about it
0: absolutely well thank you for joining us for the cinema side show podcast i was zeke i was jake we'll catch you next week with the irishman